Welcome to the Apting Places podcast in a series of, again, let's see, three to five episodes on the topic of perceptual experience and emotions, uh, obviously related to place because that's where my main area of, kind of where I've gotten data from is, but I'll be borrowing from some of the things that I'm reading on the side, some of the work that I do in observing people's emotions and perceptions uh, at work as a user experience researcher. So um, I'm quite inspired because this is all in preparation and to get the juices flowing for me as I'm writing an abstract for my first submission for publication. Uh, And I've also signed up to help me think through some of the more difficult problems for uh, for a course, an online course at Oxford University uh, on the philosophy of emotions. So I'm quite excited about that because uh, I downloaded the, the handbook on emotions edited by Lisa Feldman Barrett and multiple other editors. So uh, it's it's a 50 hour long audiobook, uh, but it's it's interesting to reflect on how personally maybe I've always underestimated the things that I've been reading within geography and finding out in my own research that that I kind of felt uh, that I needed to dig deeper and I think as a contribution it's already maybe enough to demonstrate how in this domain Emotion actually has a cognitive component, so actually is informative and brings you uh, something that's worthy of your attention and based on on your goals. So I've been reading and listening to YouTube videos actually from a a guy called Absurd Being is the channel. I I don't even know if he's qualified, but um, that's on perception and the phenomenology of perception got a got the oxford handbook on philosophy of mind as well uh, to read about uh, perceptual experience so among all of these things one of the key things that popped up uh, that made sense because i guess the most difficult thing with emotions is that somehow I have the expectation, and that's been highlighted by some researchers, that when when I study emotions and I find some things, I'm still expecting that it's going to match back to my folk theories and expectations of emotion, or that the labels would be the same for, you know, the types of emotions. And I think that's where some of the, the ideas around basic emotions which are traditional and they can be traced back to Charles Darwin's writing you know that we have five or six basic emotions kind of like in the cartoon Inside Out that's a very good and healthy starting point to even pay attention to emotions in your personal life because I don't know for me personally I've I've been probably brought up in a quasi (laughs) stoic mindset where avoiding emotion and ignoring it and 
not necessarily seeing it as something that's informative uh, was, was the case. So to at least have an idea of the basic emotions and that they have a certain footprint is a good starting point, but it does seem to be by now pretty much an old theory, kind of like, we wouldn't call it necessarily discredited, but just like the, the history of emotional research. And I did, I did start read, uh, reading the emotion, the expression of emotion in man and animals from Darwin back in the day when I was organizing a festival in his name and I was trying to read some of his work, but I've only made it through a few chapters and it was good reading, uh, but I, I found it just not. I think it was just the sound of the the voice of the narrator. It actually doesn't matter a lot, funnily. Oh. But um, the key insights from that have probably been carried forward too much, um, for too long. And there does seem to be alternatives that are more helpful in, in you know, later research, some of it from cognitive psychology, some of it from neuroscience, and also from, you know, the experience of emotions and kind of the phenomenology, the, the feelings of the experience of emotions. And uh, the thing that's been able to, to serve as a really good rule of thumb, and I love rules of thumb because that's where my interest really is at, you know, learning through these for some reason is so much easier for me than anything else. Um, and that was from listening to the, uh, the podcast of uh, Huberman. What's his first name? David Huberman? He's a professor at Stanford. He's just started his own podcast on the neuroscience of different topics. And his take on aff affect, which obviously is not the experience of emotion, but the more the physiological aspect of it, just to think about the kind of the arousal high and low um valence positive and negative and then the whether it's kind of internally directed or externally directed and the reason why this is so easy for me is also, it kind of goes away from needing more labels and it's i imagine it is a diagram of like uh the four kind of four quadrants and an axis but also then it probably has a three-dimensional structure to it in, in the images I've got in my head because then you have to add like maybe a different color for internally or externally kind of caused uh, emotion uh, directed let's not call it caused because that's probably too much of a leap but you know inwardly um, directed uh, high arousal negative valence something that would be similar to what might be anxiety uh, which you feel in in the culture where I live in the UK. Actually, I've always said that, funnily enough, anxiety doesn't, it's not a word that we have in Bulgaria where I grew up. But then when I think about it, people get angry <laughs> and that's okay because socially to take it out on other people and be more explicit, you know, outwardly directed is normal. So then you can see how these, the culture could play a, a role, uh, but it still seems to work with that rule of thumb of, you know, affect high, low, valence, positive, negative, 
and inwardly or outwardly directed. So that's been really helpful for me. Uh, but it's, you know, kind of haven't been able to apply it to my own research because the data that I've gathered, I haven't necessarily asked people to rate their emotions. I've more kind of, I've got questions around feelings towards places that have been experienced. So in that sense, it's more the felt experience and perception uh, more broadly. Uh, and this is where I keep hitting this roadblock of just mentally I have no idea where an intuition is different from an emotion and a feeling. Now I've, I've read enough to be able to hear other people's perspectives, to you know, learn it, but I don't think uh, I've understood it well enough. So like the, the way that it is in my head at the moment is that, you know, there's emotion from the outside, kind of from, from experience more generally, feelings are what you internalize, I guess, through perception. And then having an intuition is where probably you have the emotion, but the perception that you have doesn't necessarily fit the what we would call you know cognition it's not like straightforward thinking or formal logic anything that you can't verbalize in that way or represent um that would be intuition and then it skips the step uh, to you know in the idea that there is always a belief like a an attitude uh, to then drive action because I think if I take an evolutionary perspective, because that's the easiest, <laughs> there, there must be an advantage to quick and fast action. Um, uh, and again, I'm getting into the territory that's more familiar to me within behavioral economics, but obviously through my reading, I've kind of moved away from dual process theories like the Kahneman and Tversky ideas of system one being this negative thing of fast intuition and then always if we can we should be thinking slowly um, and I've actually written a book chapter about the Kahneman versus there is the this other researcher Giga Renzer I've covered talked about him in previous podcasts you know where fast and frugal heuristics are seen as adaptive strategies that overperform compared to you know tools that use a lot more information and it's just a, it makes more sense uh, and this is where I keep getting stuck in discussions with people that think that big data and AI is always going to be better whereas a lot of things don't need that much to make a decision and that comes from you know years and years of growing up as a as an overthinker uh, actually realizing that some things do not require that much thinking and just doing that's a relief but how that relates to perception and that's still relatively new to me uh, I seem to be exposed to it at work where I'm constantly you know doing these sessions where I ask people to, you know, use a software 
and then they, they tell me what they are thinking and what they're feeling. But at the same time, I observe what they're actually doing as well. So being able to have the dual measure almost, uh, I don't want to say triangulation, but just looking at it from a perception and behavior standpoint seems to be, well, I've done it. And then weirdly, when I try to think in that way, with I always see it as a dichotomy in my writing. So you have the, it's either going to be, you know, what people perceive or just being a behavior is because these are two traditions, I guess, in the way people write. But cognitive science is very interdisciplinary and much like uh, you know, the field of place branding where I'm trying to contribute, we're realizing that we have to be interdisciplinary to answer some of the more complex questions. So I think I'll cover off perceptions uh, once I've read a little bit more, got a little bit excited, <laughs> make some outlandish claims that do not match my data, but I'm going to try to keep myself honest uh, because I do have by now about over 200 places being mentioned in in-depth interviews with feeling stores and descriptions of the places. So I'm going to try to make sense of of that data as I'm writing and as I'm speaking. So I think it should make for a decent enough mind wander and a, and a literal wander around the city as I usually do, walking around and recording a podcast. Okay, thank you.